welcome to the Adventure Together podcast. In today's episode, Guy and Heather talk with Andrew and Rachel Wilson, authors of The Life You Never Expected. So Andrew and Rachel, welcome and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. It's great to see you. It's great to be with you guys. It's lovely. It's really lovely. Um, we, we just thought you might like to start by just telling us a bit how lockdown's been for you as a couple, as parents, just living everyday life and, and how it's been for you, not just lockdown, but the whole of the last sort of year that we've had, because it's been challenging on all sorts of levels. So, yeah, how's it been for you two? Where do you want to start? I've hated it with the fire of a thousand suns, Heather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ups and downs. Um, do you want to? Do you want to take this one? Yeah, I feel like it's been a hundred different things at different times, but it's definitely God's been so gracious to us and so kind to us, and it's still been really hard. Um, so it's kind of been both of those things. Um, I think for us, probably the key moments of the kids being in or out of school. Yeah, um, that's probably yeah. been. Um, yeah quite relevant hasn't it to how we found it as time's gone on yeah yeah i think we just missed church and we've missed normality just like everybody else really yeah yeah i think it sounds like a very spiritual comment and as if the sort of thing you'd expect pastors to say but i have i think missing church has probably been the biggest thing for me there's been lots of other things that have been bad um and some which have been good honestly i've spent more time with the children i've read more and i've written more than i would in a normal year so it's not all downside and i think actually even probably for you, you'd say, maybe having me around more. I don't know, there have been a few little, little But I think generally the spiritual impact of not having the church and not knowing when you will. And yeah. obviously we've had a, I've been to, we've been doing in-person meetings in our church for the last couple of months and then did two in October. So we've been, well, I've probably been to about six or seven in-person meetings since, yeah, early March 2020. And I just, it just doesn't, it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. I think our online service has been great, but that's been really hard. Um, and obviously all the normal things that people have struggled with, like homeschooling and uh, losing all your holidays and losing, not being able to go outside, particularly in the, the January, the dark, and, you know, that was yeah. uh, all the things that everyone else has lived through, really. Um, I heard Simon Elliott, a friend from East Prince, did describe it as we all before lockdown oh, this is good, yeah. before lockdown we all thought we were cakes and then when lockdown hit we realized we were actually souffles like i am robust i'm strong i'm covered in curl no, I'm not so it's just... yeah. very good yeah. so what have been the in terms of a church life uh in in terms of i mean we've all had to rush uh, into a, a new world that none of us were, felt very gifted uh, to be involved with. What have been the sort of real things that you think maybe we've discovered that could be helpful going forward uh, you know, with online church or with the way in which we have now all had to learn how to use social media better and platforms better? Are there some positives that you think that may well help us going forward? Yeah, I, I, they definitely are. I mean, I think that in some, like, if I start with the negative, start with the, like a negative one, which I think is a really good learning, is that when you take away the gathered church, you realize how important it is. And I do think there's something that is, you know, a bit of like a, a cup of cold water in the face that wakes you up a bit to the reality of, you know, if, if, 
if this is as important for my spiritual health as the Bible says it is, and as I've always preached that it is, and you have, and yeah. then if I took it away for a year, it wouldn't do, it wouldn't be good for me, which is exactly what we've just been saying. And that in itself, in a strange way, is a game. Um, I had a, in fact, you could, yeah, you had this correspondence with Matt Chandler on Twitter these, uh, six months ago. That just said something like, online church is like waterless toilets. It sounds like a great idea until you try it for six months. Um, <laughs> I just used a waterless toilet at, at a church building that will remain nameless and thought, this smells so bad, but probably when it was first set up, it sounded great. And I think that's kind of, and like a, a sort of a strange backhanded compliment to what's happened to us, which is, but I think it's revealed some of the things that we really do need about, about gathering. But I do think there've been a lot of, a lot of wins. We were processing it as a team in, in London last week. And one of the things we were doing was saying, you know, what have, what have we missed? But then what, what would we want to preserve? Mm. And I think we probably found certain things about the deep, as a pastoral staff, the decluttering of mm. our process and our program where basically the only things you do are you produce an online meeting you might sometimes gather with leaders and you meet to pray but you don't run lots and lots of the things you do an alpha online but a lot of the a lot of the flannel of church life was sort of stripped away and i think some of that won't come back some of it might not need to i think that's been that that's been good i think at a pastoral level i think in in terms of the same same things are true of the shape of the year for the church i think it's actually made some other people's lives a bit simpler in terms of what they are they receive from and expect from the church i think that's been helpful and i think we found that although there's a lot of things that you need to do in person there are some things which we'll probably be able to do a hybrid model from now on mm. um, i'm always more nervous about that with sundays personally because i i think we will have an option but if we run what we've been doing until now people might never come back but I think with things like Alpha and with groups, there's a lot of people. So couples being able to go to a group together, for instance, which how many couple, couples of our stage of life? That never happens. Like you never both go out in an evening. or You might occasionally for a big thing, but then you have to get babysitters. Whereas a lot of people have been able to access groups or alphas or all sorts of things like the leadership mm -hmm. things, prayer meetings. So quite a few things where we thought, oh, interesting. That's actually been a benefit, particularly in the midweek program. So I think mean, with... with We've found that with our international world, what, instead of flying all over the globe trying to connect with friends in India and Iberia or wherever, actually Zoom and connect, we've connected a lot, lot, lot more. And we've, we've found that where you have a strong relationship, Zoom, you've got the collateral to, to, yeah. to, to deal with the inconsistencies of social of these social platforms, whilst if you're trying to make a relationship or start something, we, we found it incredibly frustrating because, of course, you've got to deal with stuff that you're not familiar with, and you you can't read body language and stuff like that. Yeah. We, we found it a bit like you, a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, the living off the fat reserves thing, I think, is a good image for it. Like Zoom is very good, is actually very effective for that, particularly dipping in. You don't need to fly to India to meet someone for an hour for a catch-up, do you? And, and those sorts of things. But I think to start something, and I think another thing we, we reflected was that having difficult conversations on Zoom is extremely hard. So if you are confronting people or if you're trying to deal with breakdown in relationship or frustration that's very even in even with the technology we're using now it's just odd how much is communicated by physical presence and particularly when there's more than two people interacting 
So yeah, there's there's some things like that, but I do think there's probably I can imagine for your world more than mine actually the the international dimension. You might do fewer trips, but have, gather more people when you do or something, and then the one to ones, one to fives can be handled more like this. I can imagine that being a great. So, so Ray, Rachel, if, I don't know if you see the repair shop. Uh, it's one of our favourite uh, TV series. Uh, where they bring these loved artefacts, an old clock that they haven't heard chime for for 20, 30 years, and then they do the magic, the sort of magic inside and repair everything. And they come back and they they put the clock before them and they hear the chimes and they cry. What what things are you most longing to hear again, as it were, in the church or to see again in the church? Oh, I think for me, corporate singing, that's what I, I'm really desperate for, for that. In fact, um, one of my favourite hymns has this line, let the amen rise from your people again. Yeah. And I think, oh, I'm, that's what I'm desperate for, is to, is to sing that hymn in a big room of people. Yeah. I think singing to me has been one of the biggest losses. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of tears that first, yeah. Yeah. That first Sunday. I think illegal humming just doesn't cut it. No, <laughs> <laughs> illegal mask covered humming. <laughs> yeah, I was doing that on Sunday. Yeah. Aware I was harmonising to something and thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've both been writing, or Andrew's been writing over lockdown. What have you been writing, uh, and? Uh, why? What you know? What is the sort oh, of audience you're writing? Yeah, I, I, uh, I've worked on four separate things during lockdown um, because lockdown's taken a long time, and I was finishing one, and then I basically written two mostly within lockdown, which is why I meant I had more time, and then started another one. So I finished the book God of All Things, which uh, is a that's a very Guy Miller kind of book. That one, I think. I <laughs> I love it. I call it All Creatures Great and Small by Andrew Wilson. That is exactly what it is. Oh, that's so funny. No, we, so I finished all of all things, but that was more like tidying up and finishing edits, and that came out last month or something. Then I have written a sort of kind of like it's not a commentary, but it's like a kind of do, like a guide to one Corinthians for the Good Book Company, and which actually Sam, who you're going to do an interview with as well, Sam's written something on James in that series, and Keller's done something on Romans with that. So I did a kind of commentary, but not a commentary on one Corinthians, um, which was what I was writing on in lock. That was basically lockdown one. Was just sitting next door doing that really, and occasionally preaching. And then I wrote a kids book in the autumn, which will be out in 2022, called The Boy from the House of Bread, which picks up on one of the chapters in God of All Things, but does it through the eyes of a child and all of the things that Jesus says and does about bread. And then I've started this big project, which will be two years in the making on 1776 and the origins of the post-Christian West, which is my much more sort of deep apologetics, historical nerdery, understanding who we are, where we came from and how to respond apologetically and culturally. In terms of popularity and sales, what, what books do you find that actually, I noticed we've got of all things, a couple of American sort of uh, illustrations in it. Are you finding there is a growing interest from, you know, across the water in terms of your writing? It's yeah, more a populist sort of... America. So the, the, I, the books have all been, for a long time, actually even, even the book we wrote together, although we published that here, then got picked up 
in the States. So yeah, they would, I think they would all, I don't actually know for certain, but I would think they would mostly sell more there than here. Um, it's very much Britain and America would be the two main you know, markets. And then occasionally there were translations, but they're numerically smaller, although it's really encouraging. Um, so yeah, and I, I think the, the, we, the blog traffic is probably, it's 50-50, which I suspect is probably a, a pretty good reflection of uh, right. books as well, I expect. I think that's probably true for ours as well, isn't it? And I think part of all things is really accessible. So it's much more like incomparable or God stories. It's in that sort of, it's short chapters, really, yeah, really accessible illustrations and that sort of thing as well. So I think that's, you know, that's a, a popular level. Yeah, it's, it's more, yeah, more for like every, every man kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you have to translate them into American though, guys. It's funny, like when you write them in English and then they get you, you, you don't think of Americans being that different. And then you hear Americans reading your stuff going, what on earth is this? And they, like, I'm better at it now, but when I first started publishing, they were like, what on earth is this? A hob, you can see a hob right here. I used a hob as an illustration in my first book. It's in the British version of Incomparable, the Americans were at. And my editor just wrote to me and said, I Googled the word hob. It said it was a small kind of goblin. Is that what you mean? It's <laughs> in a hob goblin. I'm, and that's honestly, it's just been completely straight about it. So yeah, you have to translate I've just reread your book, um, The Life You Never Expected. That is the correct title, isn't it? I'm yeah. totally panicking yeah. now, I'm on. Um, on the back, I noticed that Wendy Virgo says, read this book and then reread it. And I decided I would long before I knew we were going to be interviewing you. And I love the way you've written it together. And I really particularly like, if I'm honest, I like your chapters, Rachel. So are you planning to do anything else mm, like that again? Or are you going to write a book on your own one day? Or... Wow. Everyone does say that, to be fair. Do you know what? Not everyone says that. It's the third person who's said that to me this week, though, which I'm now I'm thinking, hmm. So during lockdown, I've just started blogging again because I hadn't written anything for years and years. Obviously, we had a, we kind of had our third child since we wrote the book as well. So that put up the intensity level again in family life and things. So he's just started school in September. So things were like there, where they were just about finding their level until lockdown three. But um, but I, I, it is something I enjoy. It's, I'm not a natural writer. I don't find it easy. Um, but I, it's something I'd like to do more of in the future. But there's no plans in the making at the moment. At the moment, it's just blogging. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you're a very natural writer. And I think, I don't know, it's very refreshing reading what you write. I find it very inspiring. I love that. I mean, when, reading Andrew these days, I mean, it's, it's like being in a room with you. I mean, it's, it's quite <laughs> funny. I can hear your, your voice and uh, your humour coming through. And it, it is, I mean, I, I know there's a number of people, in fact, we started uh, our Sunday worship by quoting Andrew Wilson, uh, just one of, the, one of the chapters in terms of honey. And it was just, it, it cap captures a moment and a, a truth that's so accessible for everybody and I, I just commend you for it oh, I, wonder what you're, I wonder what you're actually reading I mean both of you it'd be really interesting to say yeah. who's influencing you where, where are you drinking from who are the big sort of voices that you think are either sort of speaking to the church at this time or that generally just find really encouraging to return to again and again Rachel perhaps you could just I'm going to be terribly unoriginal because I know that everybody is recommending this person, but Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly is 
probably the best um the just the best book i've read in years in terms of devotional just yeah. rich and um even as i was reading it i was just feeling is this feels it feels too good to be true yeah. is grace really this good it, it just feels far too good to be true and um i, I kind of had to slow down because I, I quite like to like plow through a bit but you really want to read that book two pages at a time yeah. Yeah. and then pray about it and dwell on it but that was just so well timed i think last year as well for so many people mm-hmm. um, just passed already i think in lockdown my biggest takeaway from lockdown is wow i'm even i'm weaker than i thought and um, but yeah. through reading that book and though i just realized that god's even more gracious than i thought he's even better than i thought yeah. you end up with this enlarged vision of yes. the grace of god and where you find your place within it so that's definitely my top one although i really enjoyed James, Jamie Smith, James K.A. Smith on the road with Augustine at the beginning of last year. That's another, that's another great book, really good read. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually, I completely agree. This, we've been, basically every time I read a good book, Rachel goes, can I, yeah, is that good enough for me to read as well? And it's like, oh, it's been a bit trash. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. But then, but generally, it was, I totally agree with that. And if you haven't read it, you, you know, I know you've read it, but anyone listening? Yeah. Awesome. I've read it twice. I just found it. I, I, I was like Rachel. I read it the first time and thought, a bit like when I first heard Terry talk on Grace. No, it can't. It can't be that good. It can't be that true. And so reading it a second time, it's like really ministers to your soul. And I yeah. found it very, very powerful. What about yeah, and another one that I that actually was different. But overlapped with it in interesting ways, which, which would be a le- much less widely read book. But again, new last year. Um, it's called Who is God by Richard Borkham, which I had, had a very sim- uh, quite a similar effect on me, actually, because Borkham's a sort of leading New Testament scholar. But he has just written a book about what God is like through four, I can't remember, four or five just biblical encounters with God, Jacob's Ladder, Moses at the Mountain. But he's done it as a, like a sort of a biblical scholar trying to draw threads through and he works in mainstream universities. He's not so he's not like a kind of classic, the kind of classic devotional literature type guy. But I just found it incredibly enriching. And where he and Dane Orland overlap was really powerful. The really the idea that there is a center, which I think I've often pushed against a bit. The idea that there are some attributes of God that are more central than others, but the idea that there are the idea the revelation of God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, or full of grace and truth. But these some of these there's like an organizing center to biblical revelation that enables you to fit the wrath and the jealousy around them without minimizing them. And I've just found that idea very compelling. And, and Mike Reeves actually, who I think you're going to interview soon. I've just started his book, Rejoicing and Trembling, uh, in the book, oh, yes. which is packaged very like Dane's book by the same people. So I imagine it looks almost part of a series, but that again, I'm really, I look forward to that. And in turn, and in terms of sort of, we're speaking to leaders on this video who obviously are trying to engage with the the, 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 the the new age, the age in which we're living with so many changes afoot. I know that you've uh, recommended it before, Tom Holland, in terms of um, his book. And I mean, Carl Truman's written a book in, in terms of making modern self. Have you got any sort of take away sort of these are these are books to make you think from Andrew Wilson these will sort of stretch you maybe sort of 
in terms of your theology or in terms of your understanding of our culture in which we're living? Yeah, that's they, yeah, this is that's exactly the feel I'm trying to write this big book on, you see, and that and so I'm reading quite a lot of things of that nature. I do think that Dominion is outstanding and Tom's take on I, I know Glenn Scrivener is going to write a sort of popular reason has written I think a popular mini version of the of the base of that idea um but I think Tom's book is really great he's going to be he's speaking at our think conference in a, in a couple of months which I, I think it might be a good setting but because we're going to talk about some of this stuff like theological history with him and, and Peter Lighthart so I think that's a that's a good really good resource um I've really enjoyed the work of Rebecca McLaughlin recently if you've come across her her book confronting Christianity Britain for grown-ups, and then her book, the teen equivalent called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. She's a very, very winsome apologist who's doing Kellery-type engagement, but in quite a, in a slightly more chatty and um, slightly, you know, like it's a bit more, it's a bit warmer. I mean, I think Keller's Reason for God is fantastic, but it, it, it's a bit warmer. It feels a bit sort of like, mm -hmm. a, yeah. And a bit more for everybody, whereas, you know, Keller, you just think you are like an uber brain and Rebecca's very sharp as well, but she writes a bit more like you and me. Um, uh, so, yeah, that would be a, another another good resource. But that's more like a, apologetics directly rather than deep cultural analysis. What we, You just chuckled about something between you and I missed completely what that was. Did I say well, something? no, it's just in, term, in terms of uh, understanding, I think there are sort of levels of understanding and there are some books that you recommend that I think that's just on the deep end of my understanding. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I like mid-pool swimming myself. Yeah, well, no, that was, and Rebecca's books are really good. They're, they are, they're, they're good like that. Have you got anything like that, you think? No, that's mine. Yeah, yeah. okay. So in terms of um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you both is how, how you would advise our leaders, our men and women, to how we contextualise the gospel in a world which is, even in the last year, dealing with massive, massive issues, which can be quite overwhelming for leaders, you know, to speak into. You've had Black Lives Matter. You've had, obviously, global warming a global pandemic you've you've had a number of very high profile sort of spiritual sort of cases of, of leadership declining there there is a temptation i think in the whole sexuality thing where leaders almost might want to just put their head down and say we're just going to try and just teach the bible and not engage uh with with with, with these issues have you got some wisdom advice in terms of helping leaders men and women to engage with our society? Because I, I, I get the feeling that most of us just want to sort of run away from engagement. And if we're going to try and help our people to contextualise this good news to this world, how, what, what sort of lessons, what sort of encouragements would you both sort of want to say to our leaders? Wow. Um, so I'll go first, but you might, you might, you might have anything to add as well. I, I think... So the, the encouragement would be that I actually think every one of those objections or cultural uh, challenges is, is an opportunity. And not just because I'm an optimist, but because I think I actually would encourage uh, I, something I often do with apologetics is when someone says, here's a difficult question, I would always try and make the problem worse. 
before trying to make it better. So somebody says something like, are you telling me that if I was to become a Christian, my sex life is, is not mine? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's far worse than that. Your whole life is not mine. You can't do, control your money either. You're not allowed to control your time. Like someone else is in charge of everything about your life. Or if somebody was to say, um, but the church, like as happens a lot in our community, like, but the, the church has this terrible record on slavery. I want to honor that question, but rather than go, oh, actually, it's not that bad. I want to go, oh, it's way worse. Actually, have you heard about our anti-Semitism? Like that, that's been around for much longer than our check-ins yeah. on slavery. And yeah. Now, I, I tend to do that not just as a rhetorical thing, but because I think it can, it, it can be, in a British context anyway, a bit disarming because it's not what people expected you to say. But yeah. also it kind of forces you to avoid trivial brush-offs of what the substantive issues are, because almost always when someone's bringing a significant challenge to Christian teaching, there's a genuine, there's a, they might not be expressing a very heavyweight version of it, but there's probably a credible objection underneath it. And you want to draw that out because actually otherwise you just engage at the surface. You, if you know the argument better than they do, you'll win, but they'll go away and go, that just doesn't really make any sense. Like that's, you know what I mean? You know when you meet an articulate salesman and they convince you that something's great and you go away thinking, no, it's still rubbish. Like, I don't like it. And, and you don't want to be that guy when it comes yeah. to Christianity. So I think I, my encouragement is in that sense, rather than trying to, like, what I call binge apologetics. And I've done this too, where you do, like, a whole series. And we've done our big objection series, you know, seven grade. And it was, went really well. It's one of the best series we've done. But I, would, I wouldn't just do that. I would almost think, how do I get something? I've actually just written my message for Sunday week this afternoon. And I'm... That's why that's how opening page. Like, here's a major objection to Christianity that I want to start with, but just go, I find one of the hardest things to do, and almost to continually being engaging in these things and saying, Can you see how this passage in Luke, as it is for me, engages with Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion or whatever it is, and just draw together the threads? So, almost like, Where can I do this and how can I do this? And obviously, that does take some probably some reading and some increased confidence, but for most of us, where we dealing with a particular congregation and we're not really doing this for the world we're trying to serve a, a set number of men and women who we know their names then i think that's the that's where we need to major on that and not worry about trying to deal with the papers and everything else they probably won't care and yeah. basically deal with handling, helping our people really well because if we don't then our people are dealing with those issues without having the thinking time at the water cooler or online or whatever and I feel like it's our job as shepherds to help equip them and protect them from being exposed in that environment. So I think it is something that it is <clears throat> leaning into rather than away from. Oh, I hate that phrase, but I've just said it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I remember years ago, it is a major challenge, isn't it? Because Rich Nathan, I remember years ago at Leaders Conference talking about how Christianity for however many years has been seen at least, even if it's not true, at least as morally superior. Whereas now we're in a generation where Christianity is seen as morally inferior um, to the like to a prevalent liberal gospel, really, isn't it? And that's going to need to shape the way that we do evangelism and run Alpha. I know Glenn Scrivener was um, teaching on leadership training um, a few weeks ago and was saying actually maybe week one of Alpha is going to need to be is the church bigoted rather. Um, is Christianity boring? Yeah. and untrue. It's say actually, you know, it's it's bigoted, yeah. it's racist, unpleasant, it's, and yeah. whatever. And it's like you've just got to start where people are. It's yeah. really interesting. And actually, sometimes people are coming that coming with week at uh, week one to Alpha with those questions, as opposed to perhaps the ones that we've been using. 
That's very good. I mean, I found, I mean, I, I, I find the new landscape quite difficult to navigate in terms of even what you say. It's, it's quite a tricky landscape that we're trying to live and navigate through, isn't it? Yeah. language language has changed you know the the Carl Truman thing I'm a was it a man living in a woman's body or a woman living in a man's body how do, what, what does that mean how do you engage and how do you help Christians to engage in that world uh, it's 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 a challenge so I was just picking up on that because that was an interesting comment we did some stuff on again on leadership training a few months back on Gnosticism in the church and actually connected online church and that phenomenon that actually what the last year is doing in part by the fact that we're doing this and everyone's doing everything online is it's adding to a cultural separation between where, where the body isn't really needed, the body's just a shell and actually most things can be done in 2D or in the spiritual realm or just it doesn't actually require people and the risk is that the church obviously we've had to do it and it's been great that we can because otherwise we'd have had nothing but the, but the, what we have to be aware of is that our culture is continually catechizing us to yeah, say yeah. bodies don't really matter. They're just they're just shells. And what really matters is what's in your heart and what's in your feelings and what's in your mind. And so actually the way you practice communion and the way you whether or not you do online church and the fact that you have a, someone who's trans in your youth group are all connected. And yeah. you know, there's, and we looked at many other examples. We talked about cremation and burial. We talked about all kinds of ways in which actually. Christian thinking about the body permeates everything and our culture's pushed pretty hard against that, particularly in the last 20 years. And it's really important to be mindful without being reactionary and freaky about it, just being mindful of how those things are actually part of the same issue. Slight gear change. Um, going back to your book, the one that I've just reread, uh, you make a thing in there, Rachel, about something that I think a lot of mothers and wives can identify with but this sense of how can I find time to be with God um, on a day-to-day basis when you've got a young family or a challenging family like you have and I think I look back over lockdown and I think so many mums who've also had children at home are thinking my goodness how do I spend any time with God how do I meet with God how do I encounter him on a day-to-day basis have you got any things that you would think would be helpful for women watching this to think actually yes that's something I could do or implement or it's really hard and I'm still to be honest I'm still feeling the cost of it with lockdown because it was so hard to find those moments and perhaps when a lockdown reminded me a bit of when our older two were very small and very demanding where you're in the survival zone and at, at that point in the survival zone you've kind of got to count your wins like my wins are if everybody's showered or <laughs> everything else fed but spiritually as well my you look at me just <laughs> I shower every day spiritually my wins at that point were if it's really tough I basically can I read a psalm ideally out loud so I can hear myself reading it yeah uh, can I worship to a song and can I just basically over and over again just say help help God would you help and yeah. so there are those moments when that's a win if you're in the yeah. survival zone if you've got a kid that's not sleeping or if you're caring for a relative with a disability in those moments don't despise that it's hard and there's a cost to it but don't despise it because God honours that uh, when you're in that zone but also be realistic about when you've left it because it's easy sometimes for us to stay there longer than we need to and actually you get a couple of mornings 
when I started nursery, it was like a revelation. You get a couple of mornings to yourself and this, but be quick to make routines in that time where, you, where you're just self-aware and go, I need to fill up in God. It needs to not just be help and just that psalm. At some point, I need to start feeding myself more fully. Yeah. And some of those Christian books that we talked about, Gentle and Lonely was that for me, where I just felt that actually I need to fill up and this is like so good for my soul by expounding scripture in this way. And I think as well at that point, it's just throwing yourself on grace, reading as much, listening to that Terry Virgo's Still got his lavish, God's Lavish Grace series on his website. That did me a lot of good. Yeah. Um, because at that point as well, you just, you're aware of your weakness. You need to know the grace of God much more heavily. And as you move into the next zone, it's probably storing up, isn't it, where in an ideal world where you're going, okay, like now Joseph I, yeah. I want to I be storing enough that I can actually feed the people around me and not just survive on a day-to-day basis as well. Um, brilliant so what what one really that is brilliant really really helpful so one final question then um to just conclude this we've we have people obviously aspiring to leadership um wanting to make a difference to you know build plant churches lead churches pastor teach churches what would you say to your younger self if you could just step back and you're speaking to an andrew or rachel in their 20s who are full of this energy full of excitement, full of love for the church and this sort of dream of what might be, what would you say are the key things you just want to say to yourselves if you could go back? I think this sounds really miserable, but I don't mean it to be miserable. (laughs) I I think I would say steady yourself for suffering (laughs) because actually I think I hadn't hit anything in my life, really, that had been terribly demanding in my early 20s. Um, But there's so much in the word of God that you can do to actually just go, do you know what? This is an adventure, but there's going to be opposition. And I need to feed myself in preparation for that opposition, um, as opposed to just being thrown about by it on the waves of whatever comes. I think that sounds very intense, but I think that's probably what I would say. I, I think, I'd, yeah, I'd say exactly the same. I, I think we, I was, we were talking about it again just last week in our team in London. The, the things that you have an opportunity, it sounds very, oh, you, of course, well, I was yours, but you do have an opportunity, particularly in the period between finishing school or university and having children, if you do, that, that however long that lasts in your life might be, you know, two years might be, 15, 20 years, but that gives you opportunities to do things that you probably won't have again for another 20 years beyond it. And in terms of reading, I think training, I think particularly if you want to, you know, pastoral ministry, like investing in both theological and also like skills training where you think you need that. It might be in kind of very more pastoral fields. It might be in technical or operational, but just the, the time to do that is much harder to find a little bit later. And you've got more important things to do often, like, you know, looking after your children or, and maybe you don't have kids, but even then you're, you're going to have other responsibilities that you take on. I think it was something that, you know, obviously a mutual friend of ours, Steve Tibbet, said to, said, often does about life stages where he says in your twenties, you're thinking, you know, am I noticed? Do I matter? And when you're in your thirties, you're thinking, how do I hold all of this together? And then by the time you're in your forties, you're sort of thinking, is, is this it? And, and it was just really interesting. And it goes through, right the way through to your seventies by the time he says, people are saying, am I, am I done? Am I obsolete? 
And it's really interesting how the question through life in, in a Western culture changes quite a lot, at least as a guy, that might not be true for everyone. And I just thought, yeah, by the time you're in your 30s, you're often juggling so many things going, if I'd known this was coming, I'd have put more in the tank when I started. Um, and in my case, I didn't. And it was just a lack of, I think, humility and awareness, really, that in the end didn't get confronted until we got sort of mugged by circumstances, I think. Um, so I don't, I'm not saying I did that. I think I wish I had. Um, but that's probably yeah, very similar. To what I say. And I think what, what appears to be the detour in your life Sometimes it's the mission as well, where you can you can have quite a good you can have quite a good idea of what you think is coming, and a curveball comes in, and you think, "What? Oh, this isn't this isn't the plan. This isn't what I wanted." And there's this wonderful Spurgeon quote that says, "I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me on the on the rock of ages," and I just think sometimes God's doing something in you in the curveballs or the details that come that are actually his main mission and yeah. uh, and to embrace that and I read a book recently where she says work with the grain of the wood work with the grain of, of yeah. that suffering even of going what is God doing here what, what is his mission at work in something that maybe I haven't planned for um, but he's going to bring good out of it and I'm going to know him better and in a deeper way because of it. Yeah, that's wonderful. And Mick, Ta I remember Mick Taylor saying the right road can become the wrong road. You feel like, you know, it, what, how you start, you think, oh, this is straight. And then adversity, suffering uh, to stay on that road would be the wrong thing in God. And God has a way of making sure he, he gets us into his, his, his best. And that is often through adversity. So it's been wonderful, hasn't it? Just getting this time with you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing oh, you. your heart. And uh, it's just lovely. And I, I, I pray that this will really help lots of our leaders. And uh, we love you. And, and you've served us magnificently already in the Commission family. You've, you've spoken at our biggest uh, festivals and that, that's always gone down incredibly well. And I think you're still one of the, the most popular download, whatever it, you get on these things. So many congratulations. And uh, <laughs> It's great to be with you both, and thanks for giving up your time this evening. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. We love you guys. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Adventure Together podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. To find out more about Commission, visit www.commission.global.